everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We are previewing Super Bowl 54 is here. It's coming on Sunday to the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. I'll be joined shortly by Daryl Slater of the Star Ledger to break down the big game, all the big angles. We'll talk a little Giants and Jets, too, with Daryl in just a bit. Show Me the Money, the season finale edition is coming up as well. Nick Frietto will be joining me in the studio as well to do the Super Bowl pick. Talk some more stuff like some Giants. We'll do a little Show Me the Money year in review trivia. Some fun stuff coming up with Nick. Be sure you're locked in until the end of the show for the next two-minute drill where I give you my take on the Netflix limited series about Aaron Hernandez. And I think it was fascinating. It was a very interesting show. I'll have my thoughts about that coming up as well. But we'll get it all started with this week's opening tip where we take a look at the Mets' third new manager in the span of about two years right after this. This is very exciting, guys. This is a very exciting day for me. This is a dream come true for me to become the New York Mets manager. That was my dream. Standing here in front of you, I can share it right now. This is a very exciting day in my career. All right, we are back with this week's opening tip. You just heard from new Mets manager Luis Rojas from his press conference last Friday, and he is now the man being placed in charge of the Met franchise at a critical venture in this team's history because we have an ownership change looming. The GM may or may not be on the hot seat with the ownership change coming. This is a roster that is built to win right now. They have an 86.5 win total, according to the Vegas Oddsmakers, who's the fifth best in the National League. So according to Vegas, the Mets should be a playoff contender in 2020. And a lot of this pressure is going to be on Luis Rojas to basically restore order to this franchise. This was an organization that found itself in disarray after the Beltron news, where they got basically sideswiped by the shrapnel from the Astros sign-stealing scandal. They let Beltron go. They basically had to. And then they made a choice, which is interesting. They chose not to consider a candidate with noticeable experience as a skipper. They did not decide to bring in John Gibbons, Buck Showalter, Dusty Baker. Any of these candidates were interviews. They didn't bring in people like Eduardo Perez either. They didn't really do any interviews this go-around. They basically sort of look at their candidates they had the first time around. They said, you know, we like these guys the first time. Nothing really has changed for us. And Luis Rojas, he does checks a lot of boxes. Unlike Beltran, he does actually have some managing experience. He's all in the minor leagues. He spent some time with a bunch of the best lower-level affiliates. He did not make a triple-A, managed double-A, managed a couple of A-ball affiliates. He's embracing the analytics. He was a quality assistant coach, basically. He was heavily invested in the analytics last year. He should be able to pass the information on to the current players. This is a guy who apparently is very well respected around the game. We've heard reports throughout the week that there are people throughout the sport who have good things to say about him, and they have nothing bad about him to say. They know that he is a good potential candidate. The thing that concerns me here is this. He has been put in a very tough spot because this is a team that's built to win right now. 
we're still waiting full details of his contract, but the early word on the Rojas deal is that this is two guaranteed years with team options tacked on at the end. They can keep picking up if he's if he's good. The problem with that is, is that basically after the first year, they might move on if he doesn't give them what they want because by this time next year, the sale should be done. Steve Cohen should be in charge, and this kind of looks like a way of saying, you know what? Here's a candidate who we like. We'll give him the shot, but if it doesn't go well and Cohen does not want him, here's the escape hatch. We just let him go with minimal money being invested in this situation. That concerns me because I feel like it's not a great setup for him. This is a guy who has good bloodlines. He has the respect of the players. He has good relationships with a lot of players. He's coached 12 of the players who projected to be on the opening day roster. The issue here is that, like, you're asking a lot from him to basically get it all right in one year and stabilize everything and hope that everything gels together because I don't think this is the way it would have gone. As Rick Saron said on the podcast last week when we talked about the Mets manager situation, it's to say that in these situations where the clubhouse gets thrown into turmoil because the manager being dumped a couple weeks before spring training – a steady veteran hand is probably the best thing you could have for this situation. To deal with this, get the team through it, and then move on and forward. If I were the Mets, what I would have done is, I know this is not the popular opinion for some people, I would have brought Terry Collins down from the front office for a year. You could have given Terry a one-year contract to manage the team. Terry does not want to do it long-term. Terry has been through a managing experience in New York which is, again, something that Rojas does not have. Beltran does not have. Terry's been a manager here. Terry knows how to deal with the media on a day-to-day basis. Terry knows the challenge of managing a big league clubhouse with big league personalities, with the veterans, the rookies, the young players, all that mix. I feel like giving it to him for one year and letting him basically stabilize the ship and just right the fort, set yourself up, and then... When 2020 rolls around at the end of the year, when Steve Cohen is basically shadow running the team, at that point, then you make your permanent decision on the manager and the general manager. What could happen right now is if Cohen does not like what Brody Van Wagen is doing, he could let Brody Van Wagen go. And then you're looking at, am I bringing in GM candidates who don't get to pick their own manager? Am I basically forcing them into a shotgun wedding with Luis Rojas? This could be a scenario where you could see something happen where if Brody screws up and Brody gets let go, that they end up tossing Luis Rojas out with him because you get a fresh start in the organization. And I don't think that's the way you should treat someone who you think could be a rising star in this industry. Would you want to see Luis Rojas be one and done with the Mets after an average year Go somewhere else his second shot and be a really good manager. I wouldn't want that to happen. I want him, if he's the guy, to be here for like a solid 15 years. If he's going to be a rising star in this game. He's 38 years old. He could be here a long time if everything works out. The thing I'm concerned about, again, the situation, not great. Luis Rojas has the traits to be a good manager. Patience will probably require because even though he does have managing experience... You know, he's coached with the big league team this year. You know, he has knowledge of analytics, which is a plus. There are going to be hiccups 
there will be times he makes the wrong choice with the bullpen or the wrong choice of a pinch hitter, and it costs him a game. There will be times when he slips up and says something that the media doesn't like and media spins the wrong way. Is he more suited to do it than like Mickey Calloway was? Sure. Is he more suited for it than Carlos Beltran? We'll never know because Carlos Beltran did not get the chance to actually manage. This is Luis Rojas' show now. I think it's got potential. I think it's a little meh to me. I would prefer a steady hand in this situation, but hopefully they're right here because if they're not, the Mets have some problems. And we will see what happens with him going forward, but we will get into the football now. We will talk some NFL with Daryl Slater right after this. It's George Kittle at the bottom. Somehow the handoff into the arms of Mostert. He's gone. Touchdown, San Francisco. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. That call is her courtesy of Fox Sports' Joe Buck. Raheem Mostert scoring a touchdown in the NFC title game for the 49ers. Join me today to preview Super Bowl 54. It's a guy who covers the NFL for the Star Ledger. Darryl Slater is on the line today. Darryl, welcome, and how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you for coming on. And I got to say, I'm very excited about this Super Bowl. I feel like it's going to be a lot of fun this game. Yeah, no doubt. It's certainly a, a fun matchup of, uh, you know, really good defense and, and, and one of the best quarterbacks we've seen in a long time is Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, let's start right there with Mahomes. Obviously, I think people kind of forgot how good he is because he was hurt during the regular season. But I think during the playoffs, he just reminded everybody how good he really is. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I tore up the <laughs> tore up the Texans and tore up the Titans and, uh, you know, five touchdowns and three touchdowns in those games. and. Uh, no picks. So, you know, if you look at these stats, they're just remarkable. I've spent a little time looking at this program. I came on, you know, 134.6 quarterback rating and then a 120.4. Uh, he's playing his best football right now um, at, at this point of the season. Um, you know, those are some of two of his best games of the year, and he's peaking at the right time. His injuries behind him and uh yeah i think maybe to a degree people forgot i mean he did he did play and start in 14 games this year and they went 11 and 3 with him and this is a guy who they're 24 and 7 with the chiefs are since since he started the you know one game in 2017 and it's pretty clear that you know they got a really really good player obviously he was the mvp last season um and and here's a guy who was considered very raw coming out of college but uh, but the Chiefs got it right, and then that's the big first ingredient to be to being a Super Bowl winning winning team. Yeah, they got the quarterback. They also got the coach who's win the Super Bowl because Andy Reid's been one of the most consistent winners in the league for about two decades now. And the one thing that's missing from his resume is that Super Bowl win. So, how much would it mean for his legacy to get the ring here? Oh, it would be enormous. I mean, because he's had he's had a reputation as a guy who cannot win in the playoffs. You know, for all of his regular season success, he just couldn't get over the hump of, of winning the big one. And I think if you know you look back to all those games he lost in Philadelphia, he you know he went to the NFC Championship game three straight years, couldn't get it done, then finally gets to the Super Bowl and, and loses to the Patriots. Uh, you know, in what seems like an eternity ago, he goes to the NFC Championship game again and loses to the Cardinals in you know in the 2008 season. So he just couldn't quite break through. Um, and now has again had a lot of success in Kansas City. I mean, look, look at the wins he's had since 2013 11, 9, 11, 12, 10, 12, 12. Man, that's really impressive stuff. Um, only missed the playoffs the one year, 
but but still has not had not been able to break through. I mean, you look at where he lost in the playoffs, you know, lost in the wild card round, then the divisional, the divisional, then the wild card, then last season losing an AFC championship game. So, uh, you know, his playoff uh, performance had left something to be desired, but he's back in the Super Bowl now for the second time trying to win his first ring. This is a guy at, you know, 61 years old. He's going to be 62 soon, uh, who has really uh, earned his way to this point. And uh, I think it would be one of the best stories or the most fascinating, uh, you know, stories in, in recent NFL history if Andy Reid's finally able to win a Super Bowl as a head coach, of course. I mean, he, he did win as, a, as an assistant coach with, uh, with the Packers back in the day. Yeah, speaking of assistant coaches, I know the Giants fans will be interested in this as well. I think that also interesting is the role of Steve Spagnuolo has played in fixing that cheap defense, which was basically a wreck the first half this year and cost them in the title game last year. Yeah, exactly. He he's done a nice job of of getting things back on track there. Um, their 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 previous defensive coordinator um, had been with the Jets, Bob Sutton, and went down there. And obviously, you know, things didn't go great uh, last year for that defense. And it's it's one thing to have a, a great quarterback and a, and a prolific offense, but if you can't stop anybody, it, it doesn't really matter. So um, I think the Spagnola hire was an enormous one. And uh, he really transformed that defense and, and kind of transformed the way they do things scheme-wise. And uh, it's been a big difference maker. Yeah, so let's go to the 49ers for a little bit. Because obviously last year, the 49ers as a team, they won just four games. They're picking second in the draft. This year, they go 13-3, and dominating the playoffs or in the Super Bowl. So how historic would this turnaround be? Go worse to first to actually finish it off. Extremely, yeah. Like I looked at this before we, I had remembered an Adam Schefter tweet before as I was looking at you know the topics you sent me here uh, for this, and and he, he tweeted this after the game on on Sunday after the NC Championship game. So they're the third team ever uh, to reach the Super Bowl after winning four games or fewer the previous season, and the '88 Bengals did it, and the '99 Rams, of course, the Rams won. They beat the Titans. Uh, the Bengals did not. So. Uh, yeah, very rare company here in terms of a team that was really, really bad the year before and, and turned it around um, so quickly. I mean, you're talking about a Niners team that had just been dreadful for, for a long time since they since they made that Super Bowl and lost to the Ravens. They had not done anything. Um, and But they John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan had this slow rebuild um, and, and and put it together. He you know the four wins last year, then six, two, five. The previous three years. I mean, you talking about? I mean, that would be like the Giants, with as bad as they've been, going and making the Super Bowl next year, um, which is probably unforeseen, um, just because they're not to this point in their rebuild yet. Obviously, the one thing you have to remember is last year Jimmy Garoppolo was hurt, so they probably wouldn't have been a four-win team if he was healthy because they were at a point in the rebuild where they had kind of made some progress. And, but this is a team that's drafted really well. They've made, they've made smart moves like trading for Garoppolo. They've drafted it really well with uh, with guys like Nick Bosa. So um, they've they've done all the right things to put the pieces in place to, to get to this point. Yeah, they have. And speaking of the quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, he is living a very charmed life in the playoffs. He had to do pretty much nothing to get them to these games. The NFC title game, I mentioned this last time, he said, Goes six of eight for seventy-seven yards in the NFL games. He did not have to throw at all. Like, can they win without him doing much in the Super Bowl? Yeah, I don't know about six of eight for seventy-seven. I don't know if that's going to get it done because you know the type of game Raheem Mostert had is you know that's probably an outlier for him and obviously an outlier uh, for most guys. I mean, you're, you're not going to expect to get 
220 yards and four touchdowns from that guy uh, in the Super Bowl necessarily. Um, but I think this 49ers defense is so good. Robert Sala really should have gotten a head coaching job this, this offseason. I think the Browns' job should have been his. Um, and I think you know you're going to get a chance to see once again here in the Super Bowl why this guy is one of the hot up and coming head coaching candidates because he's a great motivator. He's done tremendous work with this 49er defense that is one of the best in the league. Um, and the the pass rushers are certainly imposing. And uh, I think that if they can uh, get home on Patrick Mahomes. Uh, often enough, then yes, that'll probably lighten the load on what Jimmy Garoppolo needs to do. Yeah, that makes some sense. So, what do you think is the most important matchup of this game? I think it's that. I think it's Ken D. Ford and Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, and those guys uh, pin in and hem in Patrick Mahomes. You know, keep him in the pocket, uh, get pressure in his face, and uh, do the things that I mean. I, I know it's not a one to one, you know, apples to apples comparison with Tom Brady, but you think about with how the Giants won those Super Bowls by beating Tom Brady. And they got pressure up the middle. They got pressure in his face. And Brady is obviously much less mobile than Mahomes. Um, but uh, that's that's going to rattle any quarterback. And I think so. If they're able to get pressure on Mahomes and 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 get home with some some sacks and make them force him into making some poor decisions, that'll that'll bode well for the Niners' chances. So I think that's that's the biggest matchup on that side of things. I think on the flip side of things for the Chiefs, uh, you look at how are they going to cover George Kittle. Uh, Tyron Matthew is he up to the task? If if he's tasked with that, um, you know who is who's their best cover? I mean, do they have Kyle Fuller or uh, rather Kendall Fuller that handle that handle that role as sort of the nickel cornerback? Um, you know, or is it Matthew? It's going to be a fascinating battle to watch to see how they try to handle Kittle, who's who's the most reliable passing option for Jimmy Garoppolo. So that'll be the, the I think the matchup to watch on the other side of things. Yeah, I know we're still a ways out from the game, but if you had to make a gut pick right now, where would you go for this game? Oh, geez, um, you know it's just hard to pick against Patrick Mahomes. I, 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 you know, I like Garoppolo. I think he's he's a good player. I think Mahomes is better. I mean, you're talking about two guys who really have not lost a lot of games in their careers. Period. Like Garoppolo, uh, yeah, as a starter, he has a, he's 21 and five in his career. He's 19 and five with with the Chiefs. Um, and then, yeah, I mentioned Mahomes' record earlier, twenty-four and seven. So it's pretty crazy. I mean, you're talking about two really successful young quarterbacks, but I think you kind of have to look at those records with a little bit wider lens and say, well, it's not all that. It's not all of the quarterbacks doing. You know, it's not like a starting pitcher's record, which in in and of itself is also a misleading stat in baseball. But this particularly can be can be a little misleading. I think Mahomes has more talent than Garoppolo. I think Garoppolo benefits a lot from from that defense and and there's nothing wrong with that but i think this probably if it's a high scoring game will will favor kansas city if the niners can keep it somehow low scoring they have a chance but i I don't think they're winning a shootout with the chiefs i think um you know i think the chiefs are going to hang a big number i think they're going to win 38 to 27 or something like that yeah, for sure. I, I'm feeling the over in this game as well. I also felt this game sort of like a changing of the guard with a little bit of the quarterback position because you get two of the young premier stars in this league in this game, whereas the past couple we've had like Tom Brady for the last five and a lot of the old guard kind of guys. Now we're getting some of these new generation getting to the Super Bowl. Yep, exactly. I mean, and this could be an offseason where you see, you know, Brady changing his team. You see Eli Manning retiring, River Patrick or Philip Rivers retiring, uh, you know, you could see Drew, Drew Brees hanging it up. So, I mean, you look at all those guys who've been around since the early 2000s and Eli Manning, Tom Brady, 
Philip Rivers, Drew Brees. This this could be. I mean, and obviously Andy Dalton. Not that he's a great player, is out in uh, in in Cincinnati. He's done there. Uh, so he, all these guys who have been familiar names for a while are being ushered out, and then you, you have uh, you have guys like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes and Tim Darnold, Daniel Jones, and uh, and Jimmy Garoppolo, who really has been around for a while, but has had to wait his turn uh, to get to this point. I mean, he is <laughs> it's crazy. He turns 29 years old this coming November. So it's, it's not like he's super young, but you, you almost see him as sort of a newcomer. And, uh, and, and yeah, I think it's a fascinating time for, for the quarterback position in the NFL. Yeah, you, both of the local teams have young quarterbacks. I want to wrap up there. One thing on each of this, and the Giants, obviously, they have a new coach. They have Joe Judge. They've also been putting the staff together, including Jason Garrett, the offensive coordinator. What do you think about some of these choices they've made with the coaching staff? I think a couple things stick out. Obviously, Joe Judge hires guys that he's familiar with. You know, you expect that out of a rookie head coach who doesn't have, like, a wide net of, of networking to pick from. So that's one thing. And he, he, he has now three former head coaches on his staff, and um, in Jason Garrett and Brett Bielema and Freddie Kitchens. And, and as we're talking here, the roles for Bielema and Kitchens are to be determined, of course, Garrett, the offensive coordinator. I think that'll that'll be good for him and good for Joe Judge. Gives him some guidance. It gives him some um, some guys who have been through it before. Obviously, Bielema only at the college level and Freddie Kitchens only for one season last year, and it, you know, it didn't go well for him. I think most notably, Jason Garrett is, is a tremendous hire. Um, he you could make an argument that the OC hire here was, was just as important, if not more important than the head coaching hire. And certainly when they hired a head coach who did not have an offensive background, that offensive coordinator hire became critical. And I think they got the best guy out there who was available in Jason Garrett. You know, they weren't getting, you know, an, like a guy who was a star offensive coordinator for another team to move laterally. I like they wanted to talk to Brian Dable. The bills didn't let him. And why should they, you know, made, I don't understand why the giants even thought that, that was a possibility, but I think the, the, the Garrett hire is a really good one on a number of levels. He can, he can not only mentor Joe judge, he can, uh, you know, help develop Daniel Jones. He was around for Tony Romo's formative years. He was a little less involved in Dak Prescott's development. Um, but you look at the things that the, the Cowboys did when Jason Garrett called their plays from 2007 to, to 2012, uh, you know, they were very productive and they were very productive on a whole. Um, so the numbers bear it out. It's been a long time since he called plays, but the numbers bear out that, you know, this guy can do it and he's got a young quarterback to work with. So I think it'll be, it'll be really intriguing to watch. Now they obviously have a lot of other holes. Um, but in terms of the staff, I think uh, Joe judge has done an okay job overall, but I think particularly it's such a critical spot, like offense coordinator, I, I'll give him an A there for that hire. Yeah, obviously, they have a lot of holes. They got them to be busy. Another guy will be busy is Joe Douglas for the Jets because, I mean, like, they're in a critical offseason because most of the time in this league, you want to win on the rookie contract with the quarterback before they start to get expensive. And Sam Darnold has had two more cheap years left before he has to get paid again. So what do you think this offseason sets up like for the Jets? Exactly. That's a great point. I mean, he's two years in. You're probably not going to get to the fifth-year option with him uh, or, you know, a really successful quarterback who's going to want that fifth-year option ripped up and, 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 and want the extension at this point with like sort of like Carson Wentz got. Um, and even if you do play it out to the fifth year option, that's more expensive. Certainly the salary takes a big jump and the cap hit takes a big jump. So they're two years into the affordability period with, with Sam Darnold and they sort of kind of went for it last off. I mean, they totally botched the off season by, by foolishly waiting so long to fire Mike McCagney after allowing him to, to make all these big money acquisitions like CJ Mosley, who was, you know, an in, in injury related boss, like, Le'Veon Bell, 
who was a bust. I mean, they, 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 you know, they didn't, they didn't either use him correctly or he just doesn't have it. Um, so the, the two big signings were, were pretty disastrous for the Jets uh, last season. And, and Darnold has mono and the whole thing is, was just a complete disaster, even though they were able to salvage it at the end a little bit and Darnold played better, which is encouraging in two straight years. Now he's had a sort of an uptick at the end of the year after having dealing with an injury or illness uh, previous to that. So I, I think the jury's still out on him just as it is on Jones. But I think with Darnold, the jury's definitely still out. I mean, I don't, I'm not sold on him. I'm really not. So, but they need to, they need to make some less sexy acquisitions this offseason. They, they need to do something about the offensive line, which has been neglected for far too long. They don't have a pipeline of talent there. That's a huge problem. And then the, you could say the same exact thing about the Giants. That's another area they have to address. And then you could say on the defensive side of the ball, the same thing about these two teams. Neither of them has a legit edge rusher. So what do the Jets and Giants do there? Um, Chase Young is not an option for either team in the draft because they're too uh, low. Even the Giants at four are not going to get him. So do they go after Jadavian Clowney in free agency, or do they try to get a lower-profile edge rusher in the draft? Um, and you can still get a good player at, at where the Jets are. I think they're 11th and. Giants of four. So, um, yeah, I think on the offensive side of the ball, they have to address uh, the offensive line and, and, and defensively. And then the Le'Veon Bell's not going anywhere. I mean, they're stuck with him because of his contract. So um, that's the reality for them. They're not going to be able to get rid of him and start over with, with a star skill position player. That They're stuck with him. And, uh, ter- I mean, it was a terrible decision by Christopher Johnson to hand to Mike McCagnin so long. And, and now he, you know, Joe Douglas is handcuffed with Mike McCagney's decisions that Douglas may not have been on board with. Just an absolute mess. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, I think if, if just like the Giants, if the Jets address the offensive line, if they address pass rusher, if Darnold can stay healthy all year, if, and if Bell can somehow give them a little bit more, you know, maybe this is a team that knocks on the door of the playoffs. But I don't think, I don't think either of these teams is particularly close. I would be surprised if, if I would be surprised if either team has a winning record, I think eight and eight is probably the ceiling for the Giants and the Jets in 2020. Yeah, it's my last question for you as far, as far as the Jets are concerned. We mentioned a lot of issues they have with other with the personnel, but do you think they have the right head coach? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sold on him. I'm not sold on Adam Gates. I think I don't know. I think the jury is is still out on him um, for a number of reasons. Number one, you know, he didn't get the full season with. He's not a proven winner. Number one, he's not. Um, he didn't get the full season with um, with Sam Darnold, so you know you kind of give him a little bit of a mulligan there. Um, and they had a lot of injuries, but but yeah, there are things where he was uh, he came up short last year. I, I really think so, and uh, he probably ultimately you know got himself uh, alleviated a little pressure on himself by by going seven and nine after such a, a terrible start. Um, but, uh, but I still think that if this team, you know, after having an off season with Joe Douglas, after having another off season with Sam Darnold entering year three, if this team in the first quarter or half of 2020 continues to sputter and Darnold continues to show the inconsistencies, then yeah, you, you could talk about, uh, and rightfully so Gates perhaps being two years of done. Yeah. It's not what Jeff fans are going to be looking for another head coach, but Thanks again for all the time today, Daryl. Before I let you go, do you want to let people know how to find on social media and how they keep up with what you're writing on the Star Ledger? Yeah, just on Twitter, I'm at Daryl Slater, D-A-R-R-Y-L, uh, Slater, S-L-A-T-E-R. So it's pretty simple, yeah. And, and then um, 
we're uh, at just NJ.com is a good place to find us. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for Jets stuff, it's NJ.com slash Jets. And Giants is NJ.com slash Giants. I do a little bit of both, mostly Giants right now. Uh, but we have good coverage on both of those areas. So, yeah, thanks for reading. And, yeah, thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks again. And I really appreciate it. No problem. All right, and there you have it. That was Daryl Slater from the Star Ledger talking Super Bowl and a little bit about the two local teams as well. Up next, Show Me the Money Super Bowl Picks Edition with Nick Frietta coming up right after this. Show me the money. All right, we are back showing the money NFL picks for the Super Bowl. The season is ending this week. Decided to bring back one of my favorite guests of the year to do the last picks of the year. The great Nick Fryan is back in the studio with me today. Nick, how are you? Hey, Mike. Doing good. How are you? Doing good. And I want to point out also, the last time you were here, you did make quite the prophetic prediction on this podcast. You did have the Garrett Cole call. Yeah, I, um, I just... You know, I, I wasn't actually a hundred percent sure it was going to be done at the winter meetings. That kind of that was kind of luck, but I did have a great feeling they were going to get him. I thought I think that the Yankees ownership, Brian Cashman, they all knew this was our missing piece. He was out there, the price tag was there, and they met it, and that was it. I just they had been a little cheap the last couple of years, and I think that they realized we're one piece away, and now I think they're the clear favorites to win the World Series, but. The last couple of years, although pitching has been, you know, that big starter has been an issue that everyone's looked at and said they need a big starter, the series that they've lost have not been because of their pitching. They haven't hit in the playoffs, and hopefully that changes. I mean, their offense, it could it really get much better. Not really. But just hope they hit in the playoffs. Yeah, you have to hope so. But and you are here to do the picks. But before that, we have to hit on the news of the week, which is the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant in a helicopter crash. You are a Laker fan. I'll give you the floor for a minute. Your thoughts on the legacy of Kobe? There, there are no words. It was terrible news. I found out. I thought it was fake. I swear a lot of people did. I was waiting, just waiting for Kobe to send out a tweet saying, I'm good or something like that, and it just never happened. And there you go. It was confirmed. I mean, his legacy will live forever. I'm sure there'll be a statue of him outside Staples Center very soon, as there should have been. There should have been anyway. And, uh, he motivated a lot of people to play the way he played. The Mamba mentality is just, it wasn't matched by anybody. You know, he would go out there with broken fingers. He played, I think, a full season with like six broken fingers. And, and, and he just did that because he wanted to win. And that's all he cared about was winning. And he really reminds me a lot of Derek Jeter. They both played 20 seasons. They both played on one team. They both have five championships. They both debuted the same season. They both had three peats earlier in their career and then had a win, quote-unquote, on their own without Shaq or whoever the, you know, the Yankee teams of the 90s. And it's just a shame. There's no, there's nothing you can say that's positive about it. No, you can't. I mean, I was sitting in the ESPN production truck yesterday for the Island basketball game. You know, we're having a good time in the truck. We always do. And then once that tweet came in, the just energy level in that truck just completely vanished because that just tells you, like, he like this is probably the biggest, like, sports like figure passing away tragically i think since like Thurman Munson. yeah i mean you saw what a lot of teams in the nba did yesterday taking the eight second violations on purpose the 24 second violations on purpose pretty ironic that they both both those violations ended up being his numbers but yeah. 
yeah, it was you know there's a tremendous amount of respect around the league for him as there should have been, and there really aren't that many who could live up to the legacy that he did. Yeah, and all 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 the uh, best of the Bryant family. I do have one bone to pick with the league itself. I do not think they should have played a game yesterday because I feel like nobody wanted to play yesterday. Kyrie Irving was too upset to play yesterday because he was close to Kobe Bryant. A lot of players in the league are very close to Kobe Bryant. It can't, this news broke an hour before the first tips of the games were. So I think the league would have been better off just taking the day, sending everybody home, like sort of like a day of like reflection. And then you knew the Lakers game would be canceled, which they did today. They canceled it recording on Monday. But I think it was a bad call to, lead to make everybody play on. I agree with you, but at the same time, I disagree. So I agree. You know, you can see yesterday you had players, for example, Tyson Chandler was sitting on the sideline crying in the middle of the game. And you could see he was angry and he's mouthing off like you can read his lips. He's saying, why are we here? Why the F are we here? We shouldn't be playing right now. You could see he was frustrated. But on the flip side of that, I have a bone to pick with Kyrie. And that is, I know he's upset. Everyone's upset. No one's happy. But if if there's anyone in the world who would want you to go out there and play, it's Kobe Bryant. That's the mama mentality. He wouldn't want the world to stop for him. He would go out there and play no matter what. Like I said, he played with six broken fans. He would always go out there and play. And I think, yeah, they probably, maybe they should have canceled games. I know, you know, like you said, it was the biggest sports death in maybe 40 years. But at the same time, I know Kobe would have been out there and he would have wanted everyone to play. Yeah, let's leave we our respects. Let's move on from Kobe. And I know it's sad, too. Let's go back towards the football direction. We'll go to a more positive exit from the stage. Eli Manning is retired. You're a big Giant fan. You want to give me a thought on the Eli Manning legacy? Eli was my favorite player. My favorite player of all time in the NFL. From when they drafted him, I remember running around my parents' house in circles that they got, that they, well, they traded for him, but I remember that day running around in circles that they got him, being so happy. And the first couple of his seasons were up and down, iffy. He showed promising signs, but he turned the ball over a lot. And then they won the Super Bowl, and he was pretty good for like like six years or so. And then he slowed down a little. They got Ben McAdoo. He had a resurgence to his career, and then he fell off. And he was, you know, the last couple of seasons, he really showed he wasn't good anymore. But he really showed that he he was at points elite. You know, at sometimes he was really bad. He led the he led the league in interceptions twice, but he was also when when that question was asked to him. Do you consider yourself an elite quarterback? And he said yes, and there's a whole stir around the media. Is he elite, this and that? He came back that season and won the Super Bowl. And the 2007 Super Bowl they won, I think you can accredit a lot of that to the defense, and you can say, well, the defense carried them, and I don't think many people would argue with you. But that 2011 season, Eli ran the show. He carried the team. That was all him. And that was right after that statement. And he goes down as one of the best – you know, probably the best Giants quarterback ever up there with Sims, and he is he is New York. It'll be interesting to see what happens with, him with the Hall of Fame situation because if you look at his regular season numbers, they're not great. And, yeah. But, like, there has not been a quarterback yet who has won two rings who has not made the Hall of Fame, so it's an interesting debate with him down the road. Yeah, I mean, he has the same amount. Of, I'm pretty sure he's a 500 quarterback all time, equal wins and losses, but then 2-0 two yeah. two in the Super Bowl. So And he won one of the most epic Super Bowls of all time. He took down an undefeated team. Yeah, that was that was one of the greatest games. I don't think even Patriot fans have played. That was one of the greatest games they ever saw. Yeah, so he's retired. Now we are fully into the new era of the Giants, and with the new head coach, Joe Judge is in. He's brought in an interesting staff. So, how do you like the hire and the coaches he's bringing in around him? Uh, 
I don't have an opinion on Judge. I think it's too early to tell. He he doesn't have really a background. I mean, he has a little bit of a background as a special teams coach, sure, but he doesn't have any experience to judge him on. He can end up being a great coach. He could be terrible. We don't know yet. It's hard to tell, but the coaches he's brought in, I have pretty mixed feelings about. I'm pretty happy about Jason Garrett. I think... You're one of the few. A lot of Giants fans are not happy about that. I, I think he made Dak Prescott look really good. Yeah. And Daniel Jones, I think, is more talented than Dak Prescott. And I think he can make Daniel yeah. Jones really good. But on the flip side, they bring in a defensive coordinator who was the Dolphins' D coordinator. It's like, how does that add up? You go from one horrible, horrible team to another? Like, what did they see in him? He was also the defensive backs coach for the Giants before he got the Dolphins' job when the Giants' defense was last in the league against the pass. just seems like he couldn't. He just kept doing things wrong and getting jobs. I don't know. Maybe I need to see more of this guy. Yeah, maybe. I just I think in terms of Garrett, the thing I think the Giant fans just, just fixate on is his record as a head coach, but he's not the head coach in this case. He's the offensive coordinator. Right? Yeah, absolutely. He, did, he played a big role developing Tony Romo into a star. I think just as the coordinator, I think he's fine. I think the problem is, like, if he's being a head coach, he's too nice and he wants everybody to like him. And then, like, the players don't necessarily like, give all their effort in for him. And, like, I think that's a good hire. I agree. And I, I think you're 100% right with him being the head coach versus offensive coordinator. And I also think he, he was the coach of Dallas. So, naturally, Giant fans are going to hate him. Yeah. Yeah, and they have a busy offseason head. They have their coaching staff mostly in place now. What's the think the the plan of attack here for Gettleman? I think, um, as everyone's saying, pass rush is huge. Whether you somehow get lucky and get Chase Young, chances are you're not. Get uh, Clowney in the in the free agency, but then I, I think that's what everyone's talking about. But then the other side is the same thing it was two years ago when they hired Gettleman and he swore to fix it, and it's only gotten worse. And that's the offensive line. It's it needs to be addressed addressed and it needs to be addressed properly, not just throwing money at Nate Solder. They need to get offensive line help, and I don't know how to do it. I'm not the GM. That's his job to figure it out and get the right guys. It's he came in here and swore to got to get hog mollies, and all he's done is made their line worse. Yeah. And you're gonna waste Saquon Barkley's career if he just keeps running into defenders. Yeah, it makes it makes no sense. I feel like the Giants are just shopping all the same aisles this year because they both need linemen, they both need pass rush. The Jets need a little more skill position corner help. The Giants need just bodies in the linebacking core. I mean, like, I feel like there's going to be a lot of overlap to what they try and do, the same kind of targets they're going after. Yeah, I, the Jets, I can really want to see them get a big play receiver on yeah. top of Obviously, they need some help on the inside as well. But I really want to see what Sam Darnold can do with a full season. We didn't really get to see a full season of Adam Gase's offense. I know you had spoke about that, actually, in the Slater interview. Yeah. And... You didn't get to see a full season of Gase and Arnold. I want to see that with a big-time receiver. And I don't know who that would be, but that would be a nice thing to see for the Jets. And I think, you know, they went 7-6 and six with Arnold as the quarterback this year. Yeah. So Arnold doesn't get mono. Maybe you're looking at a borderline playoff team. Yeah, I think the last playoffs on the AFC was nine wins from Tennessee. So Yeah, maybe. And they lost a bunch of games they shouldn't have lost, like Miami, oh, yeah. the Bengals, the, list, the, list goes on. the Jaguars. It goes on and on and on. But. I think one name I'm curious about, I think both teams will be in on this guy. I think Yannick Ngakwe off the Jags is going to be a, be a good edge-rushing fit for both teams. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people talking about that, and I think that's a good move as well. Uh, I heard a lot of stories about also Andrew Thomas, the offensive tackle coming into the draft, and I've heard initial reports see him going in the top three, top four, and now I'm seeing him dropped out of the top ten. And I wonder, is there something that happened with this guy? Because there's been no games played since then. He was in the top four 
after Christmas. He didn't play any game or around New Year's time. And nothing's changed. It's been, it's been three weeks, and he just fell off. So I don't know what has happened there, and hopefully that guy can get drafted early. Yeah, and nobody knows anything as far as we, as we know. Everybody thinks they know something. They do not. Yeah, that's right. And you heard, you, guys, you got to listen to the interview we did earlier with Daryl Slayer in the podcast. What's your big takeaway from that? So um, you guys spoke a lot about the game, obviously, as yeah. everyone is. And uh, I noticed that you guys were speaking a lot about – the big story of the matchup, which is Mahomes against that defense. You know, yep. they got Chiefs offense and the Niners defense. And I, I, I look at the game the exact opposite. I think the game comes down to the other side of the ball. The Niners' run game, to me, has been their biggest story. If they continue to run the ball well and keep the Chiefs offense off the field, not only do I think they're going to win, I think they're going to run away with the game. But that's a lot easier said than done. You know, the Chiefs... Spagnuolo's kind of turned that defense around a little bit. They have a little bit of fire in them. And, you know, last year they were, I think you had mentioned it in the interview earlier, they had, the defense was the, the reason they lost. And now their defense is able to keep them in games. And that could be what saves them. I think their defense needs to get off the field. Yeah. And the one thing you're concerned about if you're a Chiefs fan is that two games in the playoffs, they fell behind early with pretty significant margin. I mean, 24 nothing against Houston, 17 7 against the Titans. And, the Niners are a step way above both those teams. If you fall behind to the Niners, you don't win the game. Yeah. The Niners are the team you have to strike first. And not only strike first, you have to strike second and possibly even third, too. And the Chiefs can do that. This is a fascinating football game. Oh, yeah. Should be uh, a- this is most exciting. Uh, most excited I've been for a Super Bowl in years. This should be a lot better than that Pats-Rams snooze fest last year. Oh, yeah. And this is, you know, and even going into the Pats-Eagles and Pats-Falcons, they ended up being fantastic games, both of those. But going into those games, I wasn't ex- as excited as I am for this one. This is a really exciting Super Bowl. Yeah, I think the New England fatigue is real. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if New England was going like once every like nine years, it would be different. But like every single year, give me somebody else. Now we have somebody yeah, else. It's almost like the, the Super Bowl is a TV show, and like Tom Brady is like the main character, and like they have people who don't watch football. Everyone watches the Super Bowl. You have people who don't watch football watching it, and they're like, and you'll hear it this Sunday until you go, "Where's Tom Brady?" Yeah, people who don't watch, and it's just because they're used to seeing him there. Yeah, they are seeing him there. And let's get start shifting towards the picks. So the picks challenge the playoffs. Last year, Kevin last week, Kevin Walsh Jr. was here. He actually we actually picked the Pro Bowl just for the hell of it. I Kevin took the AFC laying the point and a half. I took the AFC getting it. AFC wins, I get the point. For the playoffs, the challengers have eighteen points. I have twenty six. Which by the math we have on the playoffs here, this would be over. But I'm gonna give you an opportunity to make up some ground here. We're gonna play a little get, trivia contest here. Based on the year in picks on Show Me the Money, as you know, we've had 18 different people do picks this year in the regular season, and you're one of five who came back for the playoffs. So I compiled some data. I'm going to give you 10 questions. If you can get five right, I will give you five bonus points for the challengers here. All right, let's do it. All right, so question number one. How did you do in the picks when you were on the podcast? What was your record? I was 0-3. That is correct. I do not remember the exact games, but I do have a spreadsheet. I keep track of all this data, and you were 0-3. I know I had the Bills. I think I had New Orleans. And I would need to look at the other, but yeah, I was 0 3. All right, so that's one on the board. Question number two. Last year, the, the combination of me and the Challengers managed to hit all 32 teams in the league over the course of the year. Did we do that again this year? You did not. That is correct. That is two for two. Next question. Who was the team that did not get picked? Hmm. I think it would have to be like a random team, a team that probably had like six wins who no one thought of. I'm going to go with Denver. 
Ding, ding, ding. That's correct. Wow. Three for three. The Broncos, I was looking at I'm like, we never got to Denver this year? Yeah, I can, I can see that. They're just like, they're boring. And this is funny. This is coming from me, too, who usually, like, I keep track. I usually try and go out of my way to try and hit teams I haven't hit yet just to make, keep things interesting. But nobody hit Denver. Yeah. And they were kind of a mad team this year. Yeah, they're just very boring. They, they don't have any offense at all. All right. The defense is eh. Yeah, they are kind of eh. We'll see what happens to them next year. Question four. Which team was picked the most? I'm going to go with the New Orleans Saints. That is incorrect. It was actually the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, they can get picked again. No, I have a question. Uh, did the playoffs count in this? Yes. Oh, the, Saint, the Saints were there, too. Okay. But, yeah, the Chiefs did have more games. Yes. Okay. The Saints had one extra game. All right. Okay. Yeah, so that, I included the playoffs in this. Okay. All right. Okay. Question number five. Five teams were picked only once this year. Name one of them. I'm going to go with the Detroit Lions. That is correct. I was I, I picked them once. They lost, and I went back. Yeah, again, they fall into the same thing as the Broncos. They're just boring. And once Stafford got hurt, the Lions were sort of a non-factor this year. Yeah. Question number six. You need one more to hit the, hit the number. So was the number of perfect weeks in picks here for me and the challengers combined? So the weeks that somebody did not lose a pick. Was that over or under seven? I'm going to go under. It was actually over. We had ten perfect weeks. I think... Challengers had like four. I had six. Okay. Question number seven. Was the number of challengers who beat me in a week over or under five? I'm going to go under. It was actually the over again. So we're getting down to the wire here. Number Question number eight. Who picked the only game this year that ended in a push? This is just a person. We're not looking for the team. Phil Verena. That is correct. Bills, Browns. Yes. You had the exact game, too. That's a bonus point for you. I remember the game. Yeah. The only push on the year from the challenger was your brother picking the Bills, and they pushed on the number. I remember that game vividly. He told me. I listened to his segment. He told me I'm going with the the Bills. I told him I actually picked. I actually bet on the Browns in that game, and then we were texting throughout the game. Yeah. And it was a, it's incredible because on, on the doc I have, Google doc I have to track all this. It's. I put green for red for right, red for wrong. I had to put a yellow in there under the bills as if make sure I remember it was a push. Sure, it sticks out like a sore thumb. It does. Now you already won. You got the points, so we're gonna go to the. Let's do the last two just for fun. Yeah, I mean maybe uh, maybe us yeah. pickers maybe it can get some more bonus points. Yeah. Number nine, one of the playoff teams picked only once all season. Who was it? Okay, I'm gonna go with the Titans. That is actually incorrect. You would not believe this one. It was the Baltimore Ravens. I guess they probably had such large spreads. Yeah. They were staying away from them. Yeah, they were just interesting. I remember, I, I think the one person who picked them, I think, was Alex Fasano in week 16. That was the first time they got picked, the only time they got picked. I actually picked against them. Yeah. Yeah. But I lost. Yeah. Okay. And the last one, this is a New York podcast. We'll get the New York teams involved. Was the number of times... The Jets and Giants actually covered for us this year for B and the Challengers over or under two. I'm going to say under. It was over. The Jets hit, hit, hit twice. The Giants hit once. Okay. Yeah. So you did pick up six points for Team Challengers. So you are the now have cut the gap to 26-24, making a very exciting game. Do you remember how the playoff format works for the picks here? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we have to rank them by confidence points. So you have your confidence points right out. Yep. 
for the two and the one. So now we are getting into the action. We'll stop delaying this. We've done about 20 minutes already actually picking the game. So we'll get into the picks, and we are going to start with Super Bowl 54. 6.30 on Fox on Sunday. Chiefs, 49ers. Chiefs are laying but one point. Nick, where are you going? Give me the Niners with the point. I um, I think this game is going to come down to, like I said earlier, that Niners offense against that Chiefs defense, and I think the Niners are going to run the ball that well. They've been running so well. They've been running over everyone, just making it look easy. Garoppolo throws the ball eight times in a game, and they not only do they win, they dominate. Yeah. I think this is going to continue, and they're and I, I think the Chiefs are just not going to have the ball long enough to do anything. It's just old school football, and I think it's going to work. All right, so you have a confidence number of two or one for that game. Where are you going? I'm going one. You're going one. Okay, so I'm actually going against you here. I'm going to take the Chiefs. I picked them preseason to win the Super Bowl. I'm going to stick with it, ride them all the way here. What spread means nothing. This is basically a who you think wins the football game here. The Chiefs, I love the fact that Mahomes is the best player on the field. He can score points at will. We've seen in the playoffs. He put up 28 points in a blink. I know the 49ers are the toughest competition they face yet, but I love this team. I feel like Andy's due for a Super Bowl ring. He's going to get his here. I feel like the Chiefs have been on a mission all year after they got basically hosed in the playoffs because D4 jumped off sides away from the Super Bowl and could have won it last year. I think this year I'm taking the Chiefs. I'm putting my two confidence points on it. I like the Chiefs here. I, um... I'm really excited. I don't disagree with anything you said. That's yeah. how excited I am for the game. I'm picking the Niners, but I can easily see the Chiefs winning. It's probably the best Super Bowl I've been, but we're, we're, we're going to watch in the last 10 years. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the last 10 years, what the best game I think I was hyped for would have been. I mean, Super Bowl 50 wasn't that exciting going in with Denver oh. and Carolina. It's a little unfair, a little, un a little biased. I have to go with the Giants in the last 10 years. Yes, yeah, so obviously. It. But going into the game in terms of, you know, throwing that one aside, being most excited for it, I thought that Denver and Seattle was going to be a good game. Mm. We all know how that one turned out. Yeah. So this I, is this is the most exciting one. I think for me, it's the most exciting one since the, since the Harbaugh between the Ravens and the 49ers. I think that was my one where I was really into because I, I picked that matchup preseason. Kaepernick was a big deal back then. He was getting the 49ers in, in places. Ray Lewis's last year, storylines all over the place. And we had the blackout. That was fun. Yeah, that was an exciting game. Yeah. That was a really good game. You know, Ray, Ray Lewis is another one that you know, going back to earlier segment, or, or what we were talking about earlier, rather, um, Ray Lewis kind of reminds me of Kobe. Yeah, you know, the same team all this time, yeah. dominant player, like kind of had that mentality that Kobe had. You know, yeah. And I watched that game with your brother, believe it or not. So that was actually fun. Sounds fun. Yeah, let's get to the over under here. Right now it is fifty four and a half. Where are you going with this? I'm going under. I think um, I think the Niners are going to run the clock. This is not gonna, the Chiefs are not going to have enough time to score. Yeah, yeah, and you you have two points. You can put them both on the under. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to take them both, put them on the under. Absolutely. All right, I'm going to go with the over here just because I, as on general, I feel like the playoffs have been a higher scoring ideal. Last round, both games hit the over, including the 49er game, which I was not expecting because they just ran all over the Packers and kept, took them off the field. I think if you the game goes the way you expect it to, I would expect the under to be more in play because they're going to try and dominate the clock and keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. I feel like this is going to be a game where Mahomes takes over. So I'm going to go the over here. I'm, the number's scary because it's starting to climb as the week goes on, but we're locked here at 54 and a half. I'll take the over and put my one on it. I think this game comes down to what we spoke about earlier, and it's going to come down to who strikes first. I think yeah. if Kansas City strikes first, that over is going to happen. Yep. Yeah. 
But I think if the Niners strike first, or maybe even first and second, they might be able to run the clock and keep that keep that under. Yeah, for sure. And let's wrap this up. It's not going to be for any points, but in terms of props, what do you think is your favorite prop bet? I like uh, Sammy Watkins over three and a half receptions. I saw that one um, the other day, and I'm thinking, you know, the Niners are going to try to stop the Chiefs offensively. Their number one priority is going to be Tyreek Hill. I think they're going to have a lot of attention on him, and I think Watkins is going to be able to get some grabs. Yeah, I like that one. I think it's a good value. I have a couple of them for out here as good values. Kevin Wallace brought this one up last week, and if you're a Chief backer, bet Mahomes to win the MVP because the odds on that are pretty good, and, like, if the Chiefs win this game, who is not winning the MVP? It's not him. Tyreek Hill, if he, get, if he gets a 99, couple 99-yard catches. But that's yeah. about it, yeah. And one that I like that's a little underrated here, I like the will over under two and a half players throw passes in the football game. You're basically banking on the trick play. I think you're going to get one. I absolutely like that. Yeah, I, I, I can easily see it. Easily. All right. To reset the picks here, for the game itself, Nick is going with the 49ers, confidence level one, getting the point. I am laying the one point with the Chiefs, confidence level two. Over under, Nick likes the under, confidence level two. I like the over, confidence level one. And that is it. That's your final picks of the NFL season. Can you believe it's almost over? Really can't. I, it seems like yesterday that uh, that Matt Gay missed the field goal and the Giants won their first game in week three. And then now all of a sudden it's Super Bowl Sunday coming up. And, I mean, we were at a point well, – there's a while this year we talking about the Giants had not won since the Mets had won. That was just, That was something. Yeah, and honestly, unless they change some things in that offensive line, I can see something like that happen again next year. Yeah, so you can make all the changes you want on the coaching staff, but you got to get some players now. Nick, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for coming by the studio again to do this. I really appreciate it. It was great to be here. And before I let you go, I want to ask you: Have you actually had a chance to see the Aaron Hernandez documentary on Netflix? I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I plan to watch it. I just haven't seen it. I, I know it's something that's going to put a lot of um, it's going to put a lot of background into what happened and make you understand where he came from. And I did see one thing specifically on the documentary that I wanted to mention that um, he – they said the worst thing that ever happened to him was getting drafted in New England because it yeah. kept him close to everything. And I think that's really what everything comes down to. All right. I've actually seen the entire Aaron Hernandez documentary, and I'll give you my thoughts on it in the two-minute drill, right? Uh, actually, Mike, I have one more point to bring up about the game on Sunday. Please you know, go ahead. So this is actually something that I saw on Twitter, and I couldn't believe it. And I had to look back and check to see if it was true, and it was. So you think of the Chiefs as the offensive juggernaut. You think of the Niners as the defensive juggernaut. And yes. And the clash is in the Super Bowl. What if I told you in the regular season the Niners scored more points than Kansas City and the Chiefs allowed less points than the Niners? That's really interesting. It's really surprising, and I, I think it goes. It just shows you that you We know nothing. Yeah, exactly. We do know nothing, exactly. and uh, you said, as you said, you know nothing about the Aaron Hernandez docs. I have that one thing you mentioned, so we will. G I'll give you the full download on whether or not you should watch it in the two-minute drill right after this. Hello, this is a prepaid collect call from... Aaron. My whole body's shaking right now. What happened? Do you know my temper? All right, we are back with this week's two-minute drill. We're taking a look at the Netflix documentary series, The Killer Inside. 
the Aaron Hernandez documentary produced by Netflix. It's a three-episode limited series. Each episode over an hour in runtime. So that's just, this whole thing is about a three-hour, I want to say 20-minute look at the life and death of Aaron Hernandez. And I will say this thing, it does seem kind of quick that we got this because this whole thing sort of took place a couple of years ago. It took place back in 2013. And I will say the thing does feel like a lot more sensational than it actually, the whole thing ended up being because, I mean, we had basically, remember the series of events, Aaron Hernandez, star tight end for the Patriots, gets the big contract, goes to the Super Bowl with them in 2011, plays the 2012 season. In that offseason, gets arrested for the murder of Odin Lloyd, gets sent to prison for that. Later on, gets basically accused of committing murders all here, there, being like a gangbanger, all of this stuff. At the end, he gets acquitted of two mur- two other murders, but takes his own life in prison at that point. And this documentary tries to explore the various factors that could have led Hernandez astray. So I feel like, number one, I think this was very, very bloated. We heard from a lot of voices that I think we did not need to hear from in this piece. Like, they interviewed Jermaine Wiggins, who's a tie on the Patriots. Never played with Aaron Hernandez. Didn't know Aaron Hernandez, yet his opinion is important to this story. Why? Why do I care what Jermaine Wiggins has to say? Another one, Ryan O'Callaghan. They never played with Aaron Hernandez, really. His whole contribution to the piece was about the angle of NFL players who may be closeted gays because he was a gay man, played in the NFL, did not tell anyone until his career was over, basically came out the end of his career to his teammates, went out publicly after this was over. There was a lot of talk in this piece about Hernandez's sexuality. There's a lot of talk about his difficult upbringing, a lot of different theories trying to figure out why this guy who seemingly had it all went down a bad path. To me, the first episode was gripping. The latter two, I was kind of dozing in and out of because I'm like, this feels like too long. It feels like there are points they were rehashing the same thing over and over again from different voices. And I felt like the time, the way they structured it was also very weird. It's like, we didn't really have a very linear fashion. They sort of set up at the beginning what happens. Then they go back. Then they go forward. Then they go back again. I got a little, little, little bit of whiplash. I'm like, what am I watching here? I'm like, where am I, am I supposed to be paying attention to this story? There's criticism out there about the high school teammate who claimed that he was in a relationship with Hernandez when they were kids. There's a bunch of people who claim that there are money-grabbing angles to this whole story. And to me, I don't think this is very well done. I feel like this story was A, too long. I feel like they could have done this in about 90 minutes and not really miss much and made a much tighter narrative. I also feel like that we barely have been a couple of years out from this. I mean... We didn't get as many key principles involved in this telling of this story as you could have. Like, we didn't really get any family members from Aaron Hernandez. His brother only appears in archival footage. You hear prison phone calls with his mom, but she doesn't actually be interviewed for this piece. Same thing with his fiance at the time. She was not interviewed for this piece. So a lot of the, inf- the insight into Hernandez is coming from people who were secondary figures to him. And 
we only got one of his former teammates to appear in the piece, which is interesting because a lot of the pages at the time have moved on, but almost none of them were willing to do this, which I think is also an interesting statement. I just feel like this could have been done so much better. It really could have. I feel like they tried to go for shock value here. All we heard about was like the prison life. We heard about the his struggles with his father, his, his sexuality, all those different elements. It just sort of became like this, wow, look at this. Wow, look at this. We didn't really get any substance, and that's what bothers me because this is a story that I think could have been done correctly, but they did not do it very well. I think it is a bit overrated considering the hype that it got when it first came out. Everyone was like, ooh, have you seen this? This is earth-shattering. I watched it like, eh. And you should not be feeling, eh, about a story like that. That's poorly done by the producers there, and I think it's a waste. I would not recommend watching it. I don't think you're going to get much out of it. You didn't already know it's by going on Google. There were a bunch of unnecessary voices. The piece as a whole was sort of a mess. I don't think it, this is worth your time. I'm giving it the thumbs down on the Phillips Film Review here. All right, and that will do it for this week's episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast. I want to thank my guest, Daryl Slater, for calling in to preview Super Bowl 54, touch on the locals as well. I also want to thank Nick Frietta for coming in the studio to do the NFL picks for the final time this year for the Super Bowl. A lot more good stuff like this podcast, including the look at the rest of the Shelving the Money entrance this year, their Super Bowl picks. You heard mine and Nick's on the podcast, but everybody else sent theirs in as well. Check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, the usual suspects. Just search for Just and the Suffering on any of those platforms. You can find all our old episodes there, including last week's episode where I spoke to former Yankee PR director Rick Cerrone about some of his favorite Derek Jeter memories with Jeter entering the Hall of Fame. Feel free to give your feedback and star ratings as well, and I'll make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me at the hashtag of this team you think will win the Super Bowl. If it's the Chiefs, hashtag Chiefs. If it's the Niners, hashtag 49ers. Next week, we're going to recap the big game from all angles. Joe Dalizzi will be in the studio. We will break down the game itself. We'll have to do a little off-season preview as well. Also be joined by our pop culture correspondent, Sandra Rosa, to talk about the halftime show and the commercials and more. Until then, uh, the world needs to have a better week this week. Rest in peace, Kobe.